Well, good morning, everyone. Please turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. It's found on page 1113 of the Pew Bible. We've been looking at a section of Mark's Gospel where Jesus has been opposed uh, by the Pharisees and the scribes, and we hope to finish that section this morning. So let's look at Mark chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 23 into chapter 3, verse 6. Listen, this is God's word. Now it happened that he went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. And as they went, his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain. And the Pharisees said to him, Look, why do they do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? But he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and hungry, he and those with him? How he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the showbread, which is not lawful to eat except for the priests and also give some to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. And he entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a withered hand. And so they watched him closely, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, step forward. Then he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they kept silent. And when he had looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out. And his hand was restored, as whole as the other. Then the Pharisees went out, and immediately plotted with the Herodians against him, how they might destroy him. Amen. May God bless us the reading of his word. Twelve Rules for Life, an Antidote for Chaos, by Jordan Peterson. It's an international bestseller. A lot of people have testified how this book has changed their thinking, how it's encouraged them to be more responsible. Rather than hide away from suffering, they have learned how to cope with it. And there is lots of helpful advice and wisdom in this book. And yet, these 12 rules will not bring satisfaction or contentment. You are continually striving to keep them. And so they provide no rest. One critique of the book said that Peterson's great forte is his ability to analyze the problem. His weakness is his solutions, which largely only go part of the way. And that's clearly seen in the author's own life when he himself had a breakdown as a result of the busyness of his life and as the result of the weight of responsibility that he was under. But we like rules. Consider the many articles that are published on lifestyle that have the following titles. Ten golden rules for dieting. Four simple rules for gaining strength. The new rules for sleep. 
11 rules for critical thinking. We could go on and on. We do the same in how we relate to God. We want to know the rules so that then we can be right with God. And that mindset is powerfully exemplified in our sermon passage today. The Pharisees, they love rules, and that was seen in their observance of the Sabbath day. But they missed the very point of the Sabbath day. And Christ demonstrated this in our passage, and that led to a collision course with the Pharisees. So I want you to notice that God has given you the Sabbath day to enjoy his rest and to do good, and this rest It points to the eternal rest and restoration that you have in Christ. Well, firstly, notice it's wrong to add to God's law, verses 23 and 24. So these past three weeks, we've been looking at the opposition that Jesus faced from the scribes and Pharisees. And so we see two more incidents today. And Mark grouped these together with the conclusion in verse 6 of chapter 3. And we'll look at this conclusion later. Today, the opposition came as a result of Jesus breaking the rules of the Pharisees in regards to their observing the Sabbath day. Now, the Sabbath day is a creational ordinance, meaning it was established when God created the world. God made the world, and he rested on the seventh day. And that is a pattern that everyone is to follow. So it's not just for the Jews or for Christians No, this is for all mankind. We need rest. Everyone knows this. And God, our creator, knows we need rest. And so he built this into creation, uh, that we are to take a day of rest every seven days. But not only is the Sabbath day a creational ordinance, but in keeping the Sabbath day is following one of the Ten Commandments, the fourth commandment, Exodus 20. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God, and in it you shall do no work, you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. And therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. So this command not to work, and this command not to allow others uh, to work for you, this was a gift from God. And as a result, it made the Jewish people unique uh, from all others. And this was how you knew the people of God, the covenant people of Israel, that they were different because they kept the Sabbath day holy. To break the Sabbath day, was to turn your back on God. And so this helps us understand the Pharisees' high regard of the Sabbath. They had a passion for correctness, and they were respected for their carefulness. However, the Pharisees, in their love for rules, they went to town over keeping the Sabbath day. You are not to break the Sabbath day by working. Well, what do you mean by work? Is work simply exerting yourself? And so to avoid work at all costs, they came up with this usual hedge rules uh, to protect the original rule. 
And so they divided work into 39 categories. And each of these categories, there would be 100 or more subcategories. And this was to help you know for sure uh, what you're not allowed to do on the Sabbath. So let's have a look at some of these rules that the Pharisees came up with. A Sabbath journey could be no longer than 3,000 feet from your home. However, if you had set up a temporary dwelling, so if you pitch a tent, then you could travel another 3,000 feet from there. A Sabbath burden was the weight of a dried fig. And so they even queried if cripples, uh, those who are paralyzed, if they were allowed to lift their crutches on the Sabbath day. So each of you, by lifting your sandbook, you've already uh, broken uh, the Sabbath day. You could not light a fire on the Sabbath day, meaning you could not cook. Uh, If you had a radish and you liked to put radish in salt, that's okay. But if you do it for too long, you might have pickled it, and therefore you've worked. And so you've broken uh, the Sabbath day. A person could not wear false teeth on the Sabbath day because what would happen if they fall out? And you were tempted to pick them up and to carry them. Well, again, you've broken the Sabbath day. You could not eat an egg that was laid on the Sabbath day. But if the chicken was for food and it so happened to lay an egg, well, then you can't eat that egg. On the Sabbath, you could not climb a tree, you could not ride, you cannot swim, you cannot clap your hands, you cannot dance. These are all the many, many rules that, or this is a sample of the many rules that the Pharisees sought uh, to observe. And any good rabbi and his followers would keep these rules. For it was seen that by breaking one of these rules, you have broken the law of God. Well, did Jesus and his disciples keep these rules? Well, it seems that the Pharisees, they want to know. And so they closely monitor Jesus. One commentator jokes that you're to picture them as the moral policemen in their flowing robes with binoculars, clipboard and pen, hiding behind a haystack and frowning madly. Whereas if disciples were walking through a grain field on a Sabbath day, they picked up some of the grain, they rubbed it so the husk would be blown away, and then they would eat the grain. But the disciples, in doing this, they had broken the law. They had broken one of these additional laws of the Pharisees, and they probably were not even aware that they had broken the law. Now, it's not because they had stolen the grain. It wasn't wrong to take a small handful of grain when you're walking through grain fields. We read of this in Deuteronomy 23. When you come into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the heads with your hand, but you shall not use a sickle on your neighbor's standing grain. The problem was, in taking grain, they did so on the Sabbath. And in doing so, they were reaping the grain and therefore working. Wilmhurst says, in fact, by picking off heads of corn, rolling them in their fingers, and then chewing them, they are reaping, they are threshing, and they are preparing food on the Sabbath day. And this gives the Pharisees ammunition to attack Jesus for his disciples are breaking these man-made rules. Now, we laugh at these rules of the Pharisees being over the top. But the reality is, the attitude of the Pharisees is not that uncommon. 
It's especially found in the church. We can be so quick to be judgmental of others and critical of others' decisions. We have our own rules. We have rules about the type of education that is acceptable for our kids or about the food that we eat or about the clothes that we wear or if we drive an electrical vehicle or if we drive a huge pickup truck. The list is endless to the rules that we all have. And these rules can make us slow to reach out to others who don't follow our rules. So beware of adding additional rules, for they harden your hearts. Well, secondly, consider you are to recognize sincere needs on the Sabbath, verses 25 to 26. How does Jesus respond to this petty accusation? Well, Jesus follows their accusation by asking them a question. And his question was, have you never read what David did when he was in need and hungry, he and those with him? So he's basically saying, do you men not know your Bible? Now that will not go down well because the Pharisees, they saw themselves as the experts of God's law. But Jesus points out their inconsistency with their man-made rules and God's own word. And you also need to have this attitude that's willing to learn new things when we come to God's word. Well, Jesus reminds the Pharisees of this event when David was hungry with his men. He entered the house of God and he was given the bread by the priest, which was consecrated bread. This bread was to only be eaten by the priests. And David was breaking the ceremonial law uh, for sins, but since it was out of need, it was seen to be okay. And as well as that, David was someone who was special. He was not yet king, but he would be king. And Saul at this time, as Pastor Rich mentioned, uh, was seeking to kill him. And so Jesus, in referring to this passage, is saying he is like David. He is another David. He is another king. He is the true king. And yet, like Saul, not recognizing David, the Pharisees did not recognize Jesus to be the king. Jesus, like David, had his men with him who were also hungry. The Pharisees are like Saul, enemies of the king, opposing God's anointed. In times of need, there is work that is permitted that might not otherwise be allowed on the Sabbath. Now, when I was thinking about this, I thought, can you really compare eating loaves of bread with eating a few grains from the field? One seems a, a more sincere need than the other. But that's the pettiness that a hard heart displays. And so you need to be careful of this. Don't judge others on their keeping of the Lord's day. Judge your own keeping of the Lord's day. There are sincere needs. There are works of necessity. And those works of necessity may look different to different people. And so therefore you need to be careful to be, if you become judgmental of others. For their needs may be sincere. Well, thirdly, notice you are to submit to Jesus, for he is Lord of the Sabbath, verses 27 and 28. Jesus then taught that the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath, meaning God didn't create man simply for them to observe the Sabbath. No, he made the Sabbath day for man, 
It's a gift for man. I want you to imagine that you buy a couch, a new couch, but you don't allow anyone to sit on it. You want to keep it clean. Or maybe you've got this beautiful lawn, but you will not allow your children to play on this on your lawn. And that's what the Pharisees are doing with the Sabbath day. Uh, they were, and they're doing it at a much greater level. God had given them a gift, and yet they were taking it away and saying that you must earn it first by their law keeping. It would be like me giving you a present, but you insisting that you must pay for it, even though you don't have the means to pay for it. That would be offensive, and you're missing out on the good that I want you to have. The Sabbath day is a gift for his people. So Jesus not only compares himself to David, he calls himself the Son of Man, the Lord of the Sabbath. Sabbath literally means rest. And so Jesus, the Son of Man, the Lord of rest. These are messianic titles. But in Jesus Christ, you can enjoy rest. And it was the Pharisees. They were stopping the people from enjoying rest. And they were wrong to do this. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. He is a giver of the Sabbath. And so he is the one that rightly interprets the Sabbath day. Now, I want you to imagine one of these uh, big stately homes you see in the UK uh, where a lord or a lady lives. And you're walking around the lake in the grounds of this manor. And you see a sign saying, no swimming. But then you hear children screaming and splashing in the water. And you say to them, what are you doing? You're not allowed in there. And then this old man comes out and says, it's okay. And you say, who do you think you are to say it's okay? And he responds, I am the Lord of the manor. Well, likewise, Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. And if he says it's okay, it is therefore okay. Our world is desperate for rest. We spend a fortune on having a good bed so we will have a good night of rest and sleep. We spend money and time on going on vacations to achieve rest. People are constantly complaining about being tired, about being overstretched. They want rest. Well, in Christ, we can have rest as he is the Lord of the Sabbath. He provides this rest. In the movie Chariots of Fire, there is a contrast between the two athletes, Harold Abrahams and Eric Liddell. They both were runners. They both wanted to win. But for Abrahams, he was doing it to prove himself. He even said, I've got 10 seconds to justify my existence. Whereas Liddell, he, in writing to his sister, said, God made me fast. When I run, I feel his pleasure. Abraham clearly did not enjoy rest, while little he was resting in God, even while he was running. Well, Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath, and you can know rest in him, even in the busyness of your life. That's because he took our restlessness, our sinfulness, when he was on the cross. He bore the punishment for that discontentment. Instead, you can rest, knowing that your sins are forgiven knowing that he loves you, that he cares for you, and that he protects you. As Lord of the Sabbath, he is the Lord of rest. 
And so you must submit to him to enjoy this rest. Well, fourthly, notice the Sabbath is a day to do good as you look forward to Christ's kingdom being restored. Let's look at the second incident uh, also on the Sabbath day. Jesus is in the synagogue, and there is a man present with a withered hand. Notice the Pharisees are watching closely, and so it's very likely this whole thing was a setup. They expected Jesus to perform a miracle. Isn't that incredible? They recognize that Jesus has the power to heal this man. They wanted him to do the miracle because then they can accuse him. Now, yesterday, the Israeli prime minister flew to Moscow, and this was hugely significant because he flew on the Sabbath day. But the law allows, because of the purpose of his flight, it was seen as an emergency to stop Russia from bombarding Ukraine, and so potentially, the purpose of his trip, it would save life. That was okay. And so the Sabbath allows medical help if it's an emergency. But this man does not need urgent help. His need is not an emergency. This man could be healed the next day. Before doing the miracle, Jesus knew what they were up to. He exposes them by asking them a question. Is it lawful to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? This is not a rhetorical question. Jesus is wanting an answer. We read that there is this silence. Imagine that silence. I'm sure you could have cut the atmosphere with a knife. It was that deafening. And then we read that he looked around at them. One of the other Gospels, he looked around at all of them. And so the slow stare at each one of them. But they would not let go of their rules. These moralistic rules had become the Lord of their lives. But it was their rules that caught them out. For it would not allow them to do good on the Sabbath. They were not allowed to help this man because their rules told them so. To them, this would have been wrong. That's how twisted their view of the Sabbath had become. Keller writes, the Sabbath is about restoring the diminished, it's about replenishing the drained, it's about repairing the broken. To heal the man's shriveled hand is to do exactly what the Sabbath is all about. And their response was only silence. We read of Jesus responding in righteous anger at their hard hearts. And we're not told what happened to this man and because of his ability not to use his hand. But his work opportunities uh, would have been very narrow. His life would have been very restricted. And so Jesus calls out, stretch out your arm. The man responds by lifting up the arm that did not work. And so by Jesus' words, the man's arm is no longer withered but restored. Now his life has opened up to him. He has opportunities for work, for relationships. So the Sabbath day is a day to do good, a day to extend mercy. Now we talked about this a few weeks ago at the adult Bible class, and it was noted how Jesus did these acts of mercy on the Sabbath day. Now often when we think of acts of mercy, we think of big things. We think of feeding the hungry, providing aid, helping at soup kitchens. 
But we overlook the many merciful acts that we do each Sunday, even here. Our church, it provides a refuge for each one of us. It's easy to forget how much we need this mercy from one another, the encouragement, the friendship, the support, the church lunches. Don't overlook how important these times of fellowship are in showing mercy to one another. You can be sure that there are broken people here today. There are those who are feeling alone. There are those who are feeling overwhelmed. They need the mercy of this church. Dana Jones of the Wheeler Mission, when describing homelessness, he said the biggest cause of homelessness is not lack of money. It's lack of relationships. Church on a Sunday is a place where people can come together and enjoy the blessing and encouragement of their fellow believers. And so this is rest for them. It's rest for us. Don't minimize the importance of talking to each other, making the effort to get to know one another. In doing so, you are doing good. You are saving life. And so making this day be a day of rest for each other. Now this miracle ultimately points forward to the ultimate restoration. You are to look forward to the eternal rest that is ahead. Not just for yourself, but it's for this whole world. It's heading to an eternal Sabbath, to perfection. God created the heavens and the earth, and he will recreate and restore it into the new heavens and the new earth. Even in the pattern of the days of the week, we see the hope of the gospel. Yes, there is suffering, there's hardship, there's work and pain, but then there comes the Sabbath rest. Now that Jesus has come, we are living in this Sabbath rest, and we can look forward to when this rest will be made complete. This man had been subject to much suffering and pain, isolation and poverty, but now he knows rest from all of that. Maybe you're going through suffering or pain or hardship. And you look to the world to provide rest. But it won't provide a rest that's lasting and perfect. Our world is going through the birth pains of this new creation. There is tragedy after tragedy, especially when we consider Ukraine. But one day Ukraine will know rest. One day this whole world will know rest. That is the hope that Jesus brings to this world. So I encourage you, enjoy the foretaste of this rest today as you keep the Sabbath. Well, finally, notice, is your heart hardened by your rule keeping? Or do you enjoy the rest found in Christ? Verse 6. So this section of opposition to Jesus and his ministry in Mark's gospel, it concludes here in verse 6. And we see a coming together, an alliance of unlikely partners. The Pharisees are joining up with the Herodians to put an end to Jesus. The Herodians were a corrupt line of kings who ruled Israel by collaborating with the Romans. They enjoyed all that the Roman culture had to offer. The Pharisees were the opposite. They tried to resist this cultural influence. They wanted to be free from contamination. 
but they put their differences aside for a common enemy of Christ. That's what hard hearts do. Their hearts would not allow them to do good on the Sabbath. We see them do this wicked thing. Even on the Sabbath, they plotted with the Herodians to destroy Jesus. They were filled with anger. And it would be the Pharisees, the rule keepers, that ensured that Jesus would be put to death. Keller writes, the gospel of Jesus Christ is an offense to both religion and our religion. The gospel does not say the good are in, the bad are out, or, nor the open-minded are in and the judgmental are out. The gospel says the humble are in and the proud are out. So look at your heart this morning. We probably waver between being like the Pharisee in our love for rules or the Herodians seeking fulfillment from this world. But in both cases, you're seeking to be your own savior. When you see yourself as your own savior, well, then you have no need of Jesus Christ. If anything, he is a threat to the rest that you think you have. And so you want nothing to do with him. But if you humble yourself and recognize that Jesus healed the man, therefore he is God, he is Lord of the Sabbath, and in him you will have rest. It's not through your work. It's not through your obedience. It's through his work. It's through his obedience. So you have rest through Jesus Christ, who calls out this morning to you, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. God has given you the Sabbath day to enjoy his rest and to do good. And this rest points to the eternal rest and restoration that you have in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do confess our sins to you this morning. Too often we have this pharisaical hearts that we think is all about keeping rules. Lord, we are thankful you relate to us, not through us keeping rules, which we cannot even do, but you relate to us through your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that in him there is rest. And we pray for those who are going through hard times, who yearn for rest, and so we ask that you would give them rest. We pray that even we would be a means of encouraging one another uh, to rest even this day. And we also thank you for the eternal rest that we have to look forward to. In Jesus' name, amen. Please turn your psalm books to Psalm 116a. Psalm 116a, the psalmist here is going through the sufferings of life. And we can relate to this in our own circumstances. But we also see in this psalm a trust in God. And so as a result, a looking forward to the rest that is found in God. Let's stand and sing Psalm 116a. (laughs) 